0: Hey, it's Erica. I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to Global News What Happened To ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. mosquito bites you've probably had dozens of these little itchy bumps throughout your life some are more irritating than others you know the ones I'm talking about the bites that are in between your fingers or your toes or those bites that are on the most hard to reach spots that seem to itch all the more just because you can't get to them Annoying is probably the perfect way to describe them. They're there, and then they go away. And usually, you don't think twice about them. But that changed in 2015. I'm Eric a journalist for Global News. And today, I wanted to look at a virus that affected hundreds of thousands of people in South America. One whose symptoms were mostly mild and yet impacted pregnant women the most. Where did this virus come from? Is it still a problem? Also, what happened to the thousands of families impacted by this epidemic? This is whatever happened to the Zika virus. I started researching this story months ago as the world was just beginning to learn about COVID-19, an infectious disease caused by a type of coronavirus we didn't know existed. It was new and it was highly contagious. But the first time I heard Zika was back in 2015. It's a virus that quickly began to dominate headlines all over the world. I wanted to know where it came from. Was Zika like COVID-19?
2: Zika emerged in the world or at least was recognized in the world for the first time in the 50s when studies in Africa pointed out that uh, uh, it was a virus uh, that was associated with some febrile illness.
0: That's Dr. Carlos Pardo, a professor at Johns Hopkins University. Even though we had known about Zika virus for years, it had never become a major public health issue until 2013 when there were large outbreaks of Zika virus on some of the islands in the South Pacific.
2: It was relatively known to virologists, but not necessarily very well known to public health uh, 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 officials in the world, and it really emerged as a major uh, threat after the outbreaks in the French Polynesia that spread very quickly to other areas of the world, including Latin America, in 2015 and 2016.
0: I think I should be clear here because we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Zika virus is nothing like COVID-19. Zika virus is an arbovirus, a type of virus that is transmitted by certain kinds of insects, like mosquitoes or often what are called arachnids, like ticks, for example. Zika is in the same family as West Nile virus, yellow fever, and dengue fever. There is a specific species of mosquito that's a known carrier. It's the Aedes aegypti mosquito. This type of mosquito is primarily found in tropical climates, Dr. Michael Drebbit, the Director of Zoonotic Diseases and Special Pathogens Division at the National Microbiology Laboratory in Winnipeg, explained to me how the virus spreads through these infected mosquitoes.
3: During uh, an outbreak situation, individuals that are infected actually replicate or grow a significant amount of virus in their uh, blood. And so uh, when a mosquito goes comes and bites an individual and uh, takes a a blood meal, they will uptake the virus, and then they'll fly to another individual and give the virus to them. So this uh, uh, transmission cycle of person to mosquito to person, again, really drives the outbreaks.
0: Typically, people who are infected get fever, rash, joint and muscle pain. The symptoms can last anywhere between two and seven days, but they are pretty mild and the recovery time is pretty quick. In 2015, people who had been diagnosed with Zika virus were most likely infected from a mosquito bite, but people can also get infected another way.
2: So uh, there is evidence that uh, 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 Zika is one of the few viruses in which uh, there is quite clear uh, evidence of a sexual transmission. And uh, it was noted back in 2016 that some subjects actually uh, had a a very important uh, persistence of uh, viruses in semen And uh, later it has been demonstrated that even in women there is evidence of uh, Zika presence in uh, 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 mucosal uh, secretions and vaginal secretions. So the possibility that men may be able to transmit Zika uh, uh, is uh, uh, quite clear. And at the same time the possibility that women may uh, carry the virus and and be potential uh, host of the virus. Uh, is also significant. However, this pattern of uh, transmission among the overall general population is relatively low as compared with the dramatic increase in magnitude of infection that may be uh, facilitated by mosquitoes. So from a public health point of view, the uh, mosquito transmission is is extremely, extremely uh, important We are not able to dismiss the possibility uh, of the sexual transmission as an important factor. However, the most important one is the mosquito transmission. Dr.
0: Pardo says that only 20% of infected people show symptoms. So that means most people infected by the virus will not show any symptoms.
2: That's correct. That's correct. And that is one of the particularities of some arboviral infections that may be quite spread among the population of some areas in the world where there is a high degree of uh, transmission like in tropical areas where there are uh, mosquitoes uh, that are capable to transmit this virus Uh, and and this is one of the major concerns because it it appears that a very large population may be infected without manifesting clinical symptoms.
0: I wanted to find someone who could tell me about the virus, speak about those symptoms, what it felt like.
1: I got an intense itch. In the beginning, I thought I'd eaten something poisonous, and it seemed like an allergic reaction. I itched a lot. I took these little serrated knives, these little ones, and I scratched my skin so much, too much until I was bleeding, yet I couldn't stop. I had to continue scratching. I would take showers and it wouldn't get better. I put on moisturizer, it didn't get better. I didn't sleep because I was itchy all the time, because the skin, the skin along with the bed sheets, made me itchy. It was really bad, I had to go to emergency.
0: That's Germana Suarez. She lives in Pernambuco in Brazil, In 2015, she remembers feeling ill. The emergency health professionals
1: told me I had the Zika virus, but I was going to be okay. They said Zika was similar to dengue and that it would not be a big deal. At the time, no one imagined it. Then she prescribed me an anti-allergic and I had a few ultrasounds and that didn't point anything at Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with
3: Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: Germana was 12 weeks pregnant when she was infected by Zika. While her symptoms were mild, damage done to her unborn baby could never be undone. In 2015, as the number of cases of Zika virus continued to grow, in Brazil, health experts also noticed an increase in the number of newborns born with microcephaly. If you're wondering what microcephaly is, I had Dr. Pardo explain it to me.
2: So microcephaly is the medical term assigned to a small brain. Uh, in other words, uh, micro means uh, uh, very small, and uh, uh, cephaly is basically uh, the identifier for the brain. And the reasons the microcephaly occur in a, uh, a, these children uh, uh, from mothers infected with Zika is because when mothers were infected with the Zika virus, uh, the uh, uh, fetus developed viral illness and eventually uh, uh, quite uh, uh, established encephalitis, meaning inflammation of the, of the fetal brain or inflammation of the developing brain. And, and that inflammatory reaction and that viral infection actually Uh, produce a quite extensive damage of the uh, cells that were facilitating the growth of the brain. When the babies were born, the brain uh, uh, was malformed. There was no uh, complete uh, uh, formation of the brain hemispheres that are critical elements of the brain anatomy. And uh, this led basically to the uh, abnormal uh, uh, structure of brain uh, that is uh, uh, translated in presence of this microcephaly uh, uh, phenomenology.
0: According to the World Health Organization, by November 2015, Brazil declared a national public health emergency as the number of cases of microcephaly continued to grow.
4: A possible links only recently suspected have rapidly changed the risk profile of Zika from a mild threat to one of alarming proportions. We're not going to wait until the science to tell us whether there is a link. We need to take actions now.
0: There were 739 suspected cases of microcephaly in nine of Brazil's 26 states.
2: Brazilian uh, uh, clinicians and healthcare providers noted a quite impressive increase in the number of uh, newborns uh, affected with microcephaly. And I think uh, this was probably the first evidence uh, that was very clear that this new cover, this new virus may have been involved in, in, in the presence of those complications.
0: Less than three months later, in February 2016, the WHO declared Zika virus a public health emergency of international concern.
4: The level of concern is high. As is the level of uncertainty. Questions abound. We need to get some answers quickly. For all these reasons, I have decided to convene an emergency committee under the international health regulations.
0: And in Brazil, Dr. Pardo says that evidence of the connection between microcephaly and Zika became clearer that year too.
2: The most important uh, demonstration came uh, in uh, 2016 when uh, several uh, researchers in different areas of Brazil demonstrated that uh, children affected uh, by microcephaly uh, were coming uh, from areas where there was a high index of transmission of uh, Zika and then later, there was a very clear immunological and neuropathological demonstration that the virus was present in um, the brain of these children with microcephaly.
0: As the number of suspected cases of microcephaly grew in Brazil, I wondered, what was it like working on the front lines? I found Natalie Dutra. She's a nurse, and during the outbreak, she was working for the Health Surveillance Division for the Municipal Health Department of Rio de Janeiro. They do epidemiological monitoring in 19 neighborhoods in Rio. In 2015, there was a woman from Rio who had traveled north to the state of Paribas for a few months. She was pregnant in her third trimester. And during a routine ultrasound, Natalie says doctors noticed something wasn't right.
4: Nessa unidade
5: foi identificada, né? The ultrasound showed that the baby started to develop a reduced skull with a reduced head circumference. At that unit, she was identified. She had a blood sample of her serum sent to the Central Public Health Laboratory.
0: Natalie says it was later confirmed that the woman contracted Zika virus and her baby was now showing early signs of microcephaly. The WHO estimates at the height of the public health crisis, there are over 216,000 probable cases of Zika virus in Brazil alone. Thousands of babies were born with congenital Zika syndrome. Natalie says in 2016, expecting mothers would come to hospital and get the news.
5: Todas, sem exceção,
4: é, choravam.
5: All, without exception, wept, got spared, put themselves down, said that they felt guilty, said that many of them said that they had no financial condition to take care of children with microcephaly and with special needs. They said that they would have a lot of difficulty. We had the concern to follow them with psychologists, mainly focusing in depression, throughout pregnancy and postpartum depression and also had many reports of women calling us anxious to ask if the laboratory exam was ready
0: in November 2015 a pregnant Germana having just been diagnosed with Zika remembered seeing local media reports that linked microcephaly with the virus
5: I Zika também
1: I was shocked because I had Zika as well. Then I went online to research what was the behavior of a fetus with microcelephaly. Then on the internet, it said that a fetus hardly moved in the belly, right? He had a few movements. He had difficulty gaining weight. He grew very slowly, not at the same speed of a fetus without a disability. Anyway, I was able to identify what I was going through, feeling the same things that the internet said. And that made me worried. Then I got in touch with an obstetrician, told them about the possibility. He told me that there wasn't much to do, that now I had to wait for Galerme's birth to submit him to exams. And this is what happened. Four days later, Guilherme was born. And they did a few tests, and the result was that Guilherme had nothing wrong. We were happy. It was all quiet and so on. But a pediatrician convinced me to stay in the hospital longer to do more complex tests.
0: Nine days after her son was born, doctors delivered the diagnosis that Germana thought she evaded. Guilherme had microcephaly.
1: Ele falou
5: eh, que meu filho não ia andar.
1: He said that my son wouldn't walk, wouldn't talk, and that he wouldn't see, that he would live in a bed in a vegetative state, and that I should ask God to take him, because I was too young and he would get in the way of my life, and that he wouldn't even get to a year old, that I shouldn't be worried. So this was the comfort that I got from the medical side. So right then, I was extremely shocked because of the situation itself. So then, nine days after he was born, we left the maternity ward. We didn't tell anyone, not our families, not our friends. I used to work, I quit the company, and went into taking care of Guilherme full-time. By the time he was 20 days old, Guilherme had already all the treatments from Unified Health System, everything he needed at the time. So I began to dedicate my life to him, to his quality of life. I promised that while he couldn't talk, I would give him a voice. While he couldn't walk, I would walk and fight for him. And this is what I've been doing.
0: Germana just mentioned the Unified Health System. It's Brazil's publicly funded health care system. It's kind of like OHIP here in Ontario. It covers the basic health care needs for people living in Brazil. But many residents who can afford it opt for private health care plans because people can have access to quicker care. They can also have access to better technology and some treatments that are not available through the public health care system. But private healthcare is expensive and a luxury that many people in Brazil can't afford. Guilherme was one of thousands of children who were born with congenital Zika syndrome following the Zika outbreak in 2015. I wanted to know about the generation of children and families that would be affected by this. I spoke with Luciana Brito. She's a researcher and psychologist for the Anis Institute for Bioethics. It's a nonprofit organization that advocates for reproductive and sexual health rights in Brazil. It is also one of the leading organizations advocating for women and families affected by the Zika epidemic.
4: And since the beginning of the outbreak, Zika's outbreak, we, we understood that was important to be with the women in Brazil to understand the effects of the Zika epidemic of their lives.
0: Since the beginning of the Zika epidemic in 2015, Luciana says over 19,000 babies have been born with suspected congenital Zika syndrome. And she says it's a devastating, long-lasting legacy of the outbreak.
4: An epidemic is exacerbates inequalities. So in this case, in the case of Zika epidemic, children with disabilities and women bar those effects. So nowadays, many of the families needs rights uh, that the, the different kind of rights, you know, that the specialized health care for sure, but also accessibility in the public transportation because these this, this children, they, the moms and dads cannot take in, in the the arms, the children. So, but also welcome schools for children with disabilities, public policies and cash transfers pro- programs because these families are very poor. So when we are talking about Zika and Zika legacy, Zika effects, we need to consider who are the people who have been affected by Zika.
0: She told me the epidemic brought together families that were affected. They began to band together and fight for support from the Brazilian government. It's something that's still happening more than five years later.
4: Nowadays, they are still fighting for their rights. So especially the women who are the mostly moms and grandmas, they are together and engaged in their communities. And many of them are nowadays communitarian leaders, and they have been demanding specialized care and access to income and social protection programs for children with disabilities. So these women and families created community associations for women and families affected by Zika.
0: One of the groups that Luciana is talking about is the Union of Mothers of Angels. The organization helps families with children born with congenital Zika syndrome. Germana is one of the founding members of the group, which started with a chance meeting in an exam clinic and quickly grew to serve approximately 400 families in the Brazilian state of Pernambuco.
6: A uma começou quando eu tive o Guilherme, meu
1: filho. The UMA, Union of Mothers of Angels, started when I had my son, and we had his diagnosis. At first, I hid it. Why did I hide it? Because people used to look at my son with a poor little one look, with pity. People here in Brazil see people with disabilities as less privileged, as imperfect people, and not as they should be seen, as citizens with rights so I ended up hiding. I denied Guilherme's disease, but I still chased down treatments for him. When my son was just over a month old while waiting in line for an exam, I met Gliese, who is Maria Giovanna's mother. She was living the same drama as I was, sharing the same feelings, the same anguish, and we talked for a few minutes, and we exchanged phone numbers, and on that same day, we created a WhatsApp group with eight other mothers. This was a watershed moment because we were in a place where family members turned their backs on us, friends turned their backs on us, and we didn't have many, many people to count on. So this group ended up becoming a bridge between us, support with those eight mothers. Then we invited other mothers to participate. In less than two months of the group's creation, we already had more than 200 mothers from the whole state of Pernambuco. From there, we realized that we lived in similar situations. We felt our rights were violated, that there was negligence by the public authority, or unified health system anyway. So we saw and understood that we needed to unite. And I'm a woman who truly believes in women's strength, especially when they come together. So we got stronger and gained numbers. We gave ourselves a name. We fought collectively and founded The UMA. And slowly, the strength of these women, the fight of these unified women, was what turned the UMA into what it is today. This is how the UMA started.
0: I wanted to take a moment here to look at the numbers. The WHO estimates that 5 to 15 percent of all infants born to women who are infected with Zika while pregnant have Zika related complications, like fetal loss, stillbirth. It can even happen if mothers show no symptoms. But microcephaly and congenital Zika syndrome isn't the only complication. In Brazil, at the height of the outbreak, those cases continued to increase. But the country's Ministry of Health also saw a growing number of people of all ages diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Guillain-Barre syndrome is a disorder where the body's immune system attacks your peripheral nervous system.
2: And Guillain-Barre syndrome that is a paralyzing disease because the damage of peripheral nerves happen frequently in other uh, vital illnesses, viral illnesses like influenza virus, viral illnesses uh, uh, like uh, hepatitis the most frequent symptoms are numbness, tingling, and a
6: very rapid progressive weakness, so there are different types of Uh, symptoms. There are sensory symptoms, there are motor symptoms, uh, and occasionally a combination of both. Uh, So it's very frequent that the most uh, common uh, presentation of Guillain-Barré is called ascending paralysis. People start having numbness, tingling in their feet, that progress very quickly to weakness, and that is a very rapid progressive syndrome. That's actually called ascending paralysis. Uh, And that is the most frequent manifestation of this disorder.
0: Researchers began linking the two. They found the areas with the greatest number of Guillain-Barre syndrome cases matched the areas that saw the highest rate of Zika infections.
2: Zika uh, is now uh, very well known to produce cases of Guillain-Barre Uh, In areas of North America, obviously, that is not going to be the situation. If patients show up with Guillain-Barre, probably we will think uh, that those patients may have been exposed to that type of viruses, not necessarily Zika. But in areas of Latin America uh, or Central America or areas affected by arboviral infections like uh, Zika and Dengue, Uh, those are going to be major suspects when patients uh, 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 show up in the emergency department with problems like uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome.
0: A journal published in the National Center for Biotechnology Information looked at an outbreak of Zika in the French Polynesia from 2013 to 2014. And they found that one in 4,000 people who had been infected with Zika developed Guillain-Barre syndrome. So Dr. Pardo says the risk is relatively low.
2: And it's going to be a major problem when there are a, a very large magnitude outbreaks similar to what happened in Brazil and Colombia back in 2016, where there were hundreds of patients with Guillain-Barre syndrome. There were hundreds of cases, mostly because millions of people were infected with Zika infection.
0: But one question I had, if someone were to get Guillain-Barre syndrome, would they recover? People
6: are always afraid when they get the diagnosis of Gillian Barre. But very likely uh, a large group of patients recover very well. And I will say that probably between 30 and 40% of the patients recover very well after uh, experiencing Gillian Barre. There are a fraction of probably 30% that are left with some what we call sequela or or just residual problems, mostly motor and sensory problems after Guillain Barre. And there is unfortunately a, a small percentage of patients that are left with significant disability, but probably does no larger than 20%. And, and many of the studies actually are, are pointing out around the world that that is what happened. So the, 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 the chance of recovery, even full recovery, is probably. Very close to 40% of, of the patient population.
0: In Brazil in 2016, efforts were underway to try and take control of the virus. It's a necessity in Brazil spraying
5: insecticide to kill mosquitoes carrying the Zika virus.
0: People were wearing white jumpsuits and gas masks. They were seen in neighborhoods in Brazil showering high bushes and buildings with insecticide in an effort to kill mosquitoes carrying the virus. But Zika began to spread to other parts of the world. Centers of Disease Control and Prevention reported local mosquito-borne transmission in places like Florida and Texas, In Puerto Rico, there were over 35,000 confirmed cases of Zika virus in 2016 alone. But all these places have one thing in common, the warm climate. When I started researching this episode, I wondered about Canada. I remember in 2016 hearing about Zika virus and experts saying things like this.
3: Any Canadian knows that in the summertime, we have terrible, terrible mosquitoes that are vicious. But these mosquitoes that we have in Canada don't have the capability to transmit this infection.
0: I thought, okay, that's a bit of a relief. But I also remembered in 2016 hearing of Canadians infected with Zika. According to the Public Health Agency of Canada, as of August 31st, 2018, there were 569 travel-related cases, and four sexually transmitted cases reported in Canada. The majority of those cases were reported in 2016. 468 cases were reported that year alone. To tell us how Canadians were getting infected, I once again turn to Dr. Drubbitt.
3: Well, Canadians like to travel, and particularly during the winter months. They will travel to uh, the Caribbean and Mexico and other areas where the virus was circulating to take holidays and uh, even to do business and for other reasons. So um, because we have um, millions of Canadians that travel, there was a risk for uh, individuals to be infected and particularly we need to put in uh, guidelines with regard to um, pregnant women, because they were uh, most at risk, of course, for the um, for you know for uh, being infected and uh, giving birth to to babies with possible developmental defects and uh, congenital uh, Zika syndrome. So, so this uh, even though the virus isn't circulating in Canada, uh, the risk to travelers was definitely there.
0: The Canadian government said men who were returning from a country where they might have been exposed to Zika were recommended to use a condom for three months after travel to avoid sexual transmission. For couples who were trying to have a baby, women were advised to wait at least two months after traveling before trying to get pregnant. Men were also asked to wait a period of three months before trying to conceive. And if men were returning from travel to a pregnant partner— They were advised to use a condom to avoid sexual transmission of the virus. That's because Zika virus was found in the semen of some infected men. These recommendations still apply to anyone traveling today.
3: Even though the epidemiology is such that the risk is low, uh, we we certainly again uh, recommend you take precautions uh, if you are trying to start a family.
0: With the COVID-19 pandemic, vacations to hot tropical climates have declined. So Canadians getting Zika hasn't been a huge concern over the last year. But one question I did think of, maybe you're thinking it too, what's the likelihood that an infected mosquito could make its way to Canada? I asked Dr. Drebbit.
3: There is some concerns. Um, In fact, we know with... uh climate change, um, there's an increased risk that uh, these could be established. In fact, the uh, Asian tiger mosquito, referred to as Aedes albopictus, has been established over the last several years in uh, Windsor, Ontario. So um, we do detect the mosquito in certain sites in southern Ontario Um, and we've even detected Aedes aegypti, uh, the yellow fever mosquito as well. Although uh, currently it does not seem to be established at the same level as Tictus.
0: Since Dr. Drebbit says the types of mosquitoes that can transmit Zika have been found in Windsor, Ontario, I reached out to the Windsor-Essex County Health Unit. And a spokesperson says they first trapped Aedes mosquitoes back in 2016. That's when they launched the Enhanced Mosquito Surveillance Programme. Since then, that type of mosquito has been found in Essex County each year. So far, none of the mosquitoes tested have been carriers of Zika, but some carried West Nile virus.
3: There is a possibility that uh, these particular vectors could become more widespread in Canada as time goes on. And we are monitoring this, and we're working both provincially and nationally to look at the possible expansion. One thing that we did do uh, during the, how to, uh, the um, height of the outbreak was actually test our local mosquitoes uh, here in Manitoba and other areas to see whether they could transmit the virus. And fortunately, found that uh, uh, our mosquitoes uh, uh, do not uh, efficiently transmit the virus. So the, the risk lies in the expansion of uh, these 80s mosquitoes that I just mentioned. Uh, and the possibility that they could uh, establish themselves in other areas of the country. And hence, now you have a vector that potentially could transmit not only Zika, dengue, chikungunya, and and other viruses as well. And again, this is something that we have to uh, continue to monitor.
0: As we continue to focus our attention on the COVID-19 pandemic, it's easy to forget other viruses like Zika. It dominated headlines for several weeks in 2016, but then it's as though it was just forgotten. I haven't heard of any large outbreaks of Zika over the past several years.
3: The consensus is that one of the reasons that Zika is at a low level right now is that you had a large uh, uh, number uh, or percentage of the population in areas where the virus is circulating that became immune. Because they got infected.
0: But even though there is a level of immunity, he says it's important to stay vigilant.
3: I think we need to certainly have this on our radar. We know that uh, arthropod-borne viruses, uh, such as the mosquito-borne viruses, can come back. Uh, The cycles can go up and down in terms of the level of circulation. But um, there's always the possibility uh, Zika uh, may... uh, uh, again, exist at levels that would be concerning. Most individuals are asymptomatic. So we assume that when they've been infected and uh, they recover, they have immunity that lasts at least for a few years. But once that immunity wanes or you have uh, younger individuals that are naive to the virus start to increase in numbers and then you have a population that is more susceptible to the virus, And hence, there's a risk for an outbreak. So I think uh, we always have to be on our guard for these particular vector-borne pathogens. They can come back. And I don't think it's a matter of if, it's when. And uh, so surveillance is really uh, required.
0: We know with COVID-19, people around the world worked quickly to develop a vaccine. Yet health experts say Zika virus is something we should continue to keep on our radar. At this point, Dr. Drebit says there really is only one way to protect ourselves.
3: We we need to do uh, personal protection measures um, because even even dengue has uh, for which uh, there are some experimental vaccines present. There are concerns with that vaccine, so um, take your bug repellent and avoid getting bitten.
0: And while people in cooler climates might not be at high risk now. That might not always be the case.
3: The risk is low for uh, local transmission uh, here in Canada, which is good. But again, that that could change over time. Um, But again, uh, I think it's important to emphasize that there are are outbreaks of Zika occurring in uh, Southeast Asia uh, and India and so forth. So there are pockets of outbreaks involving those other regions that if you... Uh, are planning to travel to those areas. And, uh, of course, at this point, traveling is is very restricted due to the pandemic. But um, we continue to see Zika, uh, you know, circulating globally. And there continue to be areas where uh, there may be uh, differing amounts of risk. And so it's necessary to be aware of these and, and, again, take the appropriate precautions.
0: Guilherme is now five years old. Germana says her son is improving daily. He's able to walk, and while he has limited verbal skills, he can speak a few words. It's a far departure from what she was told to expect from doctors when he was just days old. But she says her son's needs have changed as he's gotten older. And the union of mothers of angels is continuing to fight for better support for their children. She also took a moment to explain something that really stuck with me. Germana says having a child with a disability is difficult, and it can make life complicated. But it isn't the disability that does this.
1: The difficulty of having a child with disabilities is not due to the disability itself. It's because the public health authorities lack in structure. Brazil is a nation that does not support its children with disabilities. It doesn't give structure to it.
0: In 2015, the Zika epidemic changed the lives of thousands of families in Brazil. And those families are still pushing for change and will continue to advocate for a generation of children that have been neglected. And left behind by the institutions that are supposed to assist them. Thank you for joining me this week. Thank you to Germana for sharing her story, and a big thanks goes to Alice Lopez with help on translation and voice work. Also, thanks to Liz Gogol for her voice work as well. Whatever Happened to is written and produced by me, Erica Bella, with producer Dila Velazquez. Our audio producer is Rob Johnson. A special thanks goes to Beatrice Politi. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend about the show and help me share these stories by rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We're always looking for new stories, so if there's a new story you want us to revisit, you can reach me on Twitter at Erica Bella or email me at erica.bella at globalnews.ca. Thanks for listening.